story of David and Goliath, one of my favorites, as I said earlier, and one of many of us' favorite Bible story, because it's this story of a little boy, a shepherd boy, defeating a giant. And so we're going to dive into that just a little bit. But before we do that, I'm going to invite us just to uh, come to our God in prayer and invite him into this space, in this place. Father in heaven, thank you so much for who you are to us. Thank you for the worship and the prayer time that we've had. Thank you for the message that we just heard out of the first book of Samuel, chapter 17. What a story it is. It's a story that transcends so many different boundaries. Uh, And Lord, it is there for us to learn to understand what it means to walk in lockstep with you. And so Lord, as the meditations of my heart, the words you've put on my heart come to life, Lord, I just pray that as they leave my lips, they, they are received by receptive ears and open hearts to hear what you and you alone have to say to each of us on this day. We pray in Christ. Amen. Navigating giants. We all have them. Sometimes we just don't want to admit that we have them. But God's created us all for a purpose. J.R. Illingsworth penned these words years ago and in some old English. So bear with me as I stumble through this. What is the course of life of mortal men on earth? Most men eddy about here and there, eat and drink, chatter and love and hate, gather and squander, are raised aloft, are hurled in the dust, striving blindly, achieving, perish. And no one asks who or what they have been more than he asks what waves in the moonlit solitudes mild of the, mid, uh, of the midmost ocean have swelled, foamed for a moment, and gone. We all desire to have purpose in our life. Divine purpose, even maybe. Purpose far beyond dust hurled aloft and the foam from mid-ocean's waves that is here for a moment and gone. Today, Sophie shared one of the greatest stories and well-known stories from the first book of Samuel. And in order to get us the full meal deal on, on this story, we need to peel back some pages first. Commentaries say that Samuel is the very testament of God's divine design for human purpose. Erdman's great texts of the Bible call Samuel an extreme and vivid instance of a truth in which the Bible is full. The truth that we are all called of God to our several places and occasions of action or passion, of working or waiting in the world. In a word, we all have purpose. Now, the story of David and Goliath is one of those stories with purpose. It's the story within the story that is so key. And as such, the story starts well before Goliath or even David enters into the picture. Like he does for each of us, God's hand began writing this story years before with a barren mother named Hannah. 
Hannah promised that if God blessed her with a son, she would give her son to the Lord all of his days, all of his days. And and then it went on to his mentor and priest, Eli. Eli's instructions to Samuel, Samuel hearing the voice of God and answering it and faithfully serving the call. It's the story of Samuel and Saul, the story of Samuel and Jesse, the story of Samuel and David, and within these stories, the story we find of David and Goliath. And the story of David and Goliath actually launches the story of David and Saul, which is where we get our greatest amount of learning for us in the lives that we live. It's this link between Saul and David that we can learn the most from our text. It's the story of two people, both anointed by God through Samuel, whose lives are juxtaposed as it relates to the importance of an intangible that we all have access to. An intangible that we all have access to. So back to our story. So, here we sit in the valley of Elah, and on both sides are two armies. And for 40 days, there's a standoff overlooking this valley. On the one side, the Philistines with their champion warrior Goliath, and on the other side, cowering in fear, was the army of Israel under the leadership of King Saul. For those 40 days, Goliath taunted and defied the Israelites. First Samuel captures the story of what happens next. We lovingly call it the story of David and Goliath. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to open up to the first book of Samuel, chapter 17. Sophie did a great job reading most of the story, and it's a long story, so I'm not going to read it all, but I am going to draw out a few key texts. This is an epic underdog story by most people for the heroics of a shepherd boy overcoming a giant. It's all that and more. It's an against-all-odds story where the good guy wins and becomes the hero and literally, literally becomes the king. And when we hear the story, it's inspiring, motivating, and encouraging, almost causing us to think that we, too, can overcome the impossible, that we, too, can overcome a giant or the giants in our lives. Let's dive into the story. So as we come up to verse 32 is where I'm going to start. As we come up to that point, uh, Jesse, David's father, has called David out of the fields, has made some food for him that he's prepared and wants him to deliver, David to deliver to his brothers who are with the armies of Israel on one of the banks of the Valley of Elah. And so David does that. He submits and he does as his father has asked. And he walks there and he brings the food to his brothers. And while he's there, he's a curious guy. And so he goes, he goes, what's going on here? Why are we standing at a standstill? Why are we in a standoff? This doesn't seem to make sense. And who is this big dude that keeps taunting you? And why isn't anybody doing anything about it? You see, King Saul had sort of moved in. He turtled into his shell. He was afraid of this giant that was there. And there's a reason for that. You see, Saul was anointed. He was the first king of Israel, and Samuel was the last judge of Israel. And so, if you recall the story in the Old Testament, the Israelites wanted a king like everybody else. And so, God said, okay, and King Saul was anointed by Samuel. King Saul was a head taller than everybody. He was a good-looking guy, a strong guy. 
He was everything that everybody from our human optics would imagine would be a great king. That guy that would stand on a stamp or on a coin and you go, that's our king. The problem is he had some character issues. And so here we have David going and asking his brothers and asking the, the, the army, the people in the army, why isn't anybody doing anything about this? And so David says, well, this seems ridiculous. And Saul overhears this and says, bring that David guy over to me. And then they have a chance to meet. And here's what it says in verse 32. David said to Saul, which I find interesting because Saul's the king and he's a shepherd boy and he's the one who speaks first. But it says, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, yeah, whatever. Well, he didn't. He said, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul, we have this little interplay where Saul tries to fit his armor and his sword and his shield on David. And David goes, this is way too uncomfortable, way too heavy. It doesn't fit and it doesn't serve my purpose. And then we come to verse 41 where it says, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you all into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line, reaching into a bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and slung it and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell to the ground and died. What an amazing story. Who would have thought? To understand this story in the context to the redemptive narrative of Scripture, it helps for us to zero in on Samuel's call and to hear his cry that we all need help from the Lord. We all need help from the Lord. The characters in this play lived and died on the sword of that truth. Samuel's call by God was twofold. To name the need for detachment and the need for attachment. Detachment and attachment. If you're taking notes, write down detachment and attachment. And then I'm going to invite you to write down things in your own life that you need to detach from so that you can attach to God. Because we're all different. 
We're all going to face giants differently in our own lives, so I would invite you to do that. Detachment is detachment from the world, the strongholds that separate us from God, and attachment to God is those things that bring us life, strength, courage, beyond the things and recognitions of the world. Saul and David each approached Goliath differently. Beyond the big man, Goliath himself, our text is full of other giants or other strongholds that that require detachment from, ones we often don't consider within the text of this story, but ones that can become even more lethal in their ability to separate us from God. Fear, insecurity, comfort, submission, optics, and passive thinking. All of these giants played out for Saul as he anticipated how to face Goliath. And by worldly standards, Goliath's stats would affirm every reason for him to have these feelings. His height, Scripture says, was six cubits and a span. So six cubits and a span. Six cubits is about nine feet, and a span is about nine inches. So I stood here earlier in the week, and I asked myself, what on this stage is about that height that I can reference this for people? So if you look at this banner, and you look right at the very top to Jesus, because that's where we always have to look, but just below that is the word, the way. Halfway through the letters in the, T-H-E, is nine foot nine inches tall. I'm six foot two, and some people think I'm tall, a, t- a tall guy, but if anybody came up to me that that's tall without armor, just being that tall, I am going to be filled with fear and trepidation because that dude's big. Nine foot nine inches tall. His body armor, Scripture says, was 5,000 shekels or 125 pounds. That's just his body armor. It's this weave of a whole lot of little brass plates about this big that they weave together to protect themselves when they're facing battle mano a mano. He had bronze shin guards. Well, if I have bronze shin guards, they're about two feet. Well, if he's nine foot nine, he probably has four foot shin guards made of solid brass. The Bible doesn't say how much they weighed, but I'm going to assume they weighed something. The javelin that he had, just the iron point of his javelin was 600 shekels or 15 pounds. He had a brass helmet. In total, his body armor, which he carried with him every single day, was about 200 pounds. That's like carrying a grown man with you wherever you go. 200 pounds. How strong must have this guy been to carry that with him wherever he went? He had a shield bearer that went before him. He carried a huge sword. He was a mighty warrior trained in combat and war, and everyone was afraid of him. And so was Saul. All Saul saw was what was before him, and through the eyes in which he viewed them, his thinking was paralyzed. He became and was becoming detached from God. He was viewing this through his own eyes, not the eyes of God. Juxtaposed to the stats Saul saw in Goliath, he saw David's stats, the youngest brother of the boys of Jesse. He was a young lad, small, Scripture says a little more than a boy. He was a shepherd, so not a mighty warrior, and he had a slingshot and a stone in case lions or bears or other predators came. By Saul's 
and all human logic and understanding, this was the mismatch of all time. What came next makes the story great. You see, it's what Saul didn't see that was the difference maker. Nigel prayed earlier that we, 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 he hoped that we would all become difference makers in the world around us. What Saul didn't see was the difference maker. David's great faith and courage. He had no fear. He relied on the help of the Lord full on. And then God does what God always does. In my notes here I put, but God working always with the end in mind, had already begin working, begun working things out. God doesn't assume like we do. Goliath and Saul assumed David was going to fight the way it was always done. One v one, mano a mano, toe to toe. David knew he could never win this battle the traditional way. Saul, uh, Goliath was too tall and too strong. He had to do something different. He knew he had to improvise, think outside the box. And with knowing that God was on his side, he had the faith and the courage needed to win this battle, something Saul had forgotten. David was what you would call a slinger in ancient times. That's slinger. According to the book of Judges, slingers could hit something within a hair's breadth. Ancient Near East history tells us if a slinger could see a coin, they could hit it. They had accuracy up to 200 yards. So David came into this battle knowing what his abilities were because he had honed them over time. You see, there was more. By deciding not to wear Saul's armor, David had the benefit of speed and agility. And a slinger could send a rock hurtling at 34 meters per second, more than enough to crush a human skull, more than enough to crush Goliath's skull. He knew what he was going to do. These were the skills that David had gained while tending his father's sheep. They were the talents given to him and honed over time, but he came to that historic place with much more. David, David came with courage. David came with courage, and essential qualities of leadership defines courage as this. Courage is that quality of mind that enables people to encounter danger or difficulty firmly, without fear, and without discouragement. But he came to that place with something even more powerful, a faith that placed God first, the taunting and defiance of his people and God by this giant crossed the emotional line for David. It crossed it. He was upset, which is why he talked to his brothers and the other people of the army and said, why isn't anybody doing anything? He's defying us and our God. He had great courage, think the lions and the bears. His skill set and God's spirit falling powerfully on him when he was anointed in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, all came together for the purposes of God. For what? To once again free Israel from the tyranny of the Philistines. It's the same group of people that Samson had to defeat. It's the same group of people that shows up over and over and over as the bane of the existence of the community of Israel. Although this story is more often told for its heroics, the real story behind this story is one of faithfulness. It is out of David's faithfulness, his attachment to God, that the true story unveils. 
It's also the reason for Saul's detachment or falling out of favor with God. This is the story of two anointed leaders appointed by God and their level of attachment to God. It's why God divested in Saul's leadership and invested in David's, anointing him the next king. So why should we care about this story? Well, I bet maybe just maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's some of us that can relate to what Saul and the Israelites felt. Maybe you have a giant standing in front of you, taunting you, insulting you, harassing you. Let me ask you this question. What giants do you face? Fear, comfort, submission, optics, passive thinking were all things that Saul wrestled with. But what about addiction? What about anger? What about relational discord? What about employment? Or if you don't have any unemployment? What about our pride or our ego? Or, or maybe it's just that giant that reminds each, you each day that you can live for less, do less, make less of an impact. That giant that drives us to complacency. Or maybe it's that giant telling you you're not good enough, smart enough, tall enough, beautiful enough, strong enough. Whatever the giant is that stands in your way, paralyzing you from everything that God has woven into you, I have good news. Well, I don't. Scripture does. I'm just the messenger. Uh, but navigating giants is something we all face. Some of us, however, prefer to face it like Saul. And we forget who created us, gifted us, strengthened us. And we fall prey to relying on what others tell us what we see in front of us through human eyes, human experience, and human tradition, and that mirror that shows us us deep into our souls every day. We fall into a trap of focusing on our disadvantages versus our advantages. What we don't have versus what we do have. When Saul's giant, his shadow mission, got in the way of God's plans, God changed his plans. You see, God is the God of the impossible. God is the God of the unthinkable. God is the God of miracles. God is the God of second 
third, fourth, fifth, tenth, fiftieth, one hundred chances. There is no end to the love that God has to redeem and restore and renew each of us. He is the God that turns disadvantages into advantages. He's the God of Samuel and the God of David. He is God, the Father, that raised his son from the dead. So he can do the unthinkable. He can do the impossible. He can do the unimaginable. He can. And here's the thing. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you, and he loves you. Here's what we learn from David. David didn't let his disadvantages interfere or paralyze him from facing this taunting and defiant giant head on. Not at all. He viewed what everyone else believed as disadvantages as his advantage. His youth and stature gave him speed and agility. His slinging skills provided the accuracy he would need, and his, face, his facing lions and bears gave him the experience to overcome his fear. And he faced this giant with all of these talents, gifts, and experiences, but with one additional thing, one intangible thing, a rock-solid faith. He did not waver from his faith, and Saul witnessed it firsthand. And that witnessing firsthand shaped the rest of their story and history together. Saul fell into spitefulness and jealousy and anger and wanted to kill David. David moved on with his life. You see, what Saul witnessed firsthand was this. In verse 37, when David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Did you catch that? It was an emphatic statement. Will rescue me from the hands of the Philistine. He did not doubt it for a moment. Not for a moment. Then when he faces his giant, notice how he addresses Goliath. First he mentions all those things that the world would affirm are the normalized tools of the trade for war. Mano a mano, toe to toe. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Notice what David doesn't mention. He doesn't mention the obvious things, his size, his weight, his armor, and his resume as a champion warrior. He doesn't mention them at all. He doesn't give them the time of day. David doesn't even mention his own skills, talents, strengths. Look what he says. You come at me, Goliath, with all that. You come at me with all that. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defied, whom you defied. So, when it comes to navigating our giants, how do you prioritize? Is God first when facing the giants in your life? Do I have the courage to let my faith and stand strong against the powers of this world? Are we prepared to live into the improbable and even the impossible courageously through what God can do through each of us? Are we? How do we answer those questions? The same power that came on David is available to you and to me. It is. We are holy and we are wholly anointed in baptism through Jesus Christ and filled 
with the Holy Spirit. God advocates on our behalf every single day when we are filled in baptism with the Holy Spirit. David knew it. And that's why he said in verse 47, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and there is a God here today. Because of what we do when we face the giants in our life, the world will know that there is a God. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. David says, the battle is the Lord's. By stating this, he draws people back into attachment with God. From the stump of Jesse and the lineage of David came Jesus Christ. From the stump of Jesse and the lineage of David came Jesus Christ, the first name on that banner, who fought the greatest battle, overcame the greatest giant, our sin and our brokenness. And he overcame its consequence, death. Death on a cross. And he did it for you and I. This promise made through this lineage extends all the way to you and I. The battle, whatever it is that the battle is that you face, it's done. The battle is won. We get to thank Jesus for that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the word that you give us, the word that comes to life through a story and has this opportunity to shape us to find ourselves in the story. And so, Lord, wherever we find ourselves, whether we find ourselves cowering like the armies of Israel or fearing like Saul, or whether we've just overcome a battle with a giant in our own life and we feel the surrounding and ever-presence of you and the power of an almighty God, Lord, we pray that you meet us here, that you open up doors of opportunity to understand how to battle the giants that we face each day, whatever they are. And so, Lord, we give this day to you in your son's gracious name. Amen.